0: Congratulations again to all you graduates out there. May you go in God's grace and uh, live for his glory. If you have your Bibles, why don't you grab them at this point in time and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, as we are coming to the tail end of this section in the Gospel of Matthew, anticipating some summer sermon series. Oh, we've got a couple more sermons at least here as we finish up and put a nice bow on the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7 we will be looking at verses 1 through 12 and focusing our efforts on verse 6. Again, Gospel of Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, as we continue on in our section entitled Relationships of Righteousness. What what does it look like for a follower of Christ to relate to both their fellow believer and as well to the unbelievers around them? I pray that you're there, close to it. Let's pray once again, and then we'll get started. So if you would bow with me, please. Father, what a privilege it is for us to be here in this place as we have uh, graduates that we're so grateful for that have been on our minds and our hearts that we've been celebrating with as they move from this phase of life to the next, whatever that might be. Lord, we pray your blessings upon them. God, we pray that you would draw near to them and that uh, you would cause them to draw near to you, that they would seek your face, that they would find you and delight in you, that they would walk with you throughout these college years or the the, the time that they're spending in the workforce. Lord, we pray that they would seek you and find you, and, and God, that you would be so close to them, encourage them, strengthen them, and use them according to your will. Father, now we turn to your altogether good and inspired and infallible word, and we have the great privilege of hearing the very words of our Savior, Jesus Christ, as he teaches us about what it looks like to relate to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and this morning specifically what it means for us to share the the precious gospel pearls with a lost and unbelieving world. God, give us great wisdom and discernment as we share this precious pearl of of the kingdom of God. We ask it in Jesus' name and God's people said. Amen. Well, as we return now to the Sermon on the Mount, we continue in a section that I've entitled Relationships of Righteousness. Jesus focuses on two primary relationships that Christians have, how we are to relate to our brothers and sisters in Christ in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 7, and then how we are to relate to unbelievers, starting in, in verse 6 and running all the way through chapter 12, in, uh, verse 12. In fact, I'm going to read verse 12 because I think it's the key to this entire section. When you read chapter 7, verses 1 through 12, it sort of seems like the the content is just sort of broken up and, and disconnected. But I think verse 12 is really the key to helping us understand what the entire section is about. It reads this way, Jesus says, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this is the sum of the law. In the prophets. Here we see uh, Jesus is concluding and summarizing words to this section, this section entitled Relationships of Righteousness. And here we see that Jesus has been talking about, in this entire section, relationships that is doing unto others as we would have them uh, to do to us, the golden rule. What it, what it looks like for us to, to love our neighbor, if you will. A few weeks ago, We saw in verses 1 through 5 how a Christian was to relate to other Christians. Jesus says that we are to take the responsibility towards our fellow Christians, that is to help them in their walk with Christ, to to see if they have any specks of, of sin or false belief, and that we do have the responsibility to help take that little speck out of their eye. But first, he says what? You make sure there's not a log in your own eye, right? So in verses 1 through 5, he he says, This is, Christian, your responsibility towards your brother and sister in Christ to to help them pursue holiness. Verses 1 through 5. Next we see, starting in verse 6, which we will focus in on today, Jesus begins to teach about our relationship to other people. Uh, people in this world who are not Christians, unbelievers, namely our responsibility to share the precious pearls of the gospel message. So in verse 6, he's going to emphasize that we have a responsibility to, to cast our pearls, this precious message of the availability of salvation and entrance into the kingdom of heaven, that we are to share the gospel. Verses 7 through 11, what follows, if you'll turn with me uh, on the screen or in your Bibles, we see that Jesus begins to talk about prayer. And it seems sort of disconnected, like, okay, this is how we treat our fellow Christians, and this is our our relationship with the unbelievers, but what does prayer have to do with it? Well, let's read the text, and then we'll find out. Verse 7, ask, Jesus says, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. "...for everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who asks for a fish, uh, excuse me, and, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake?" If you then, though you are evil, know how to to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask of him? So we have this teaching on prayer. But friends, it's not disconnected to what Jesus has been talking about. In other words, Jesus says that as we go about... Uh, removing the specks from our brothers and sisters' eye, we need to ask for God's wisdom. We need to seek his heart. We need to knock on the door of heaven. We need help as we go about relating to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And in verse 6, as we go about sharing this good news of the kingdom of God with the lost and we, we see how they respond to us, we need to be seeking and knocking and asking for God's grace and for his wisdom and for his power. So, that gives us a little bit of an idea about what this section is about. But let me ask a question as we begin to narrow our focus this morning on verse 6. Let me ask this question. Do you think that we as Christians have the responsibility to share the good news of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ with the lost? Shake your heads at me, yes. Yes, We do. In fact, if you were to just look at the Gospel of Matthew, you would see that. In fact, a few chapters later, in verse 10, chapter 7, Jesus takes his disciples and he sends them out to preach the message of the Gospel. He told them to, quote, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. So just in Matthew's Gospel, we see that Jesus commissions his followers to go share the good news Of the gospel. And if you make it all the way to Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, we get what most of us uh, are are familiar with. It's called the Great Commission, right? And there in this Great Commission to Jesus' first disciples and to us today, Jesus tells us to go and make disciples of all the nations. And the examples in the New Testament could be be repeated on and on and on. So clearly, we as Christians have a responsibility to share this good news with those who need to hear it. But here's another question that verse six, I think, brings to our attention. Clearly, we're called to share the good news, but here's the question that is before us in verse six. What is our continuing responsibility to those who are antagonistic to the gospel and to the gospel message when we share it? Let me repeat the question. What is our continued responsibility in sharing the gospel when the gospel is met with antagonism and hostility and downright um, rejection? Well, verse 6, I think, is going to address this question. I want to share with you a quick story, and then I think you'll see, as we move into verse 6, how it relates to what we'll be talking about this morning. When I was a child, I've shared with this before, so I'll make it brief. When I was a child, we um, always had dogs around the house. Uh, we, we lived on about a three-acre plot and uh, lots of room for animals and children to run around. And so we always had dogs. But the the longest-tenured dog of my childhood was a wiener dog, right, named Schnitzel. And you see him there in the picture behind me. Now, pay no attention to the good-looking guy on the right or the, my little sister on the left. But f- focus your attention on, there is my beloved, our beloved schnitzel, right? There he is in all of his glory. For some reason, my sister thought he should be in our Easter picture. not sure what that's all about, but there is schnitzel. Now, we had schnitzel for about 10 or 11 years. He lived a very long and full life. He was a feisty dog. He was loyal to us, uh, pretty good-natured, but I learned very early on that there were some things that I just weren't supposed to do to him. In other words, here's a story. One day, uh, we fed schnitzel like most dogs, with a dog bowl, and so he had his bowl, and uh, I was feeding him the scraps off of my plate, and so I was, in my memory, bending down and kind of, you know, doing this, and he immediately went to the bowl and started eating, you know, he was happy to receive that, um, and then my sister said, here, um, give schnitzel some of my food, and I wasn't thinking, I was like, okay, so I grabbed her bowl, and I, and I went, and I thought it would be a good idea to take the food away from him, and put the food, you know, how do you think that turned out for me? If you know anything about dogs, you know that uh, that didn't work out so well. And so he uh, lunged at me as if I had taken his very life. He snapped at my hand and, and barely caught my skin, thankfully. You know, incidents like that, I think, illustrate a little bit uh, about the nature of dogs, right? Right? shows us a little bit about their nature. They're chiefly concerned with satisfying their appetites. And during those times that they're satisfying their appetite, they often fail to consider the value of anything else that is set before them. In, In this case, the value of my right hand, right? Schnitzel didn't care about my right hand. He only cared about his appetite, and he almost took my right hand off. Well, today, in verse 6 of chapter 7, Jesus is going to use two pictures. He's going to talk about two types of animals. And he is going to compare those who are antagonistic and hostile to the gospel message to two types of animals. One of which, you can guess, is a dog. And the other of which is that of a pig. So we can move on from my Easter picture when I was 12 or 11. And let's take a look at chapter 7, verse 6. As Jesus talks about relating righteously to antagonistic unbelievers. Jesus gives us this sort of proverbial statement. He says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls pigs. And here's the reason why. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. And that is a reading of God's holy and inspired word. So in this verse, as Jesus often did, he uses a picture, right, an illustration from real life to make a spiritual point. In this verse, it's very simple. There's two sections. First of all, we get the rule, the rule, the first half of verse 6, and then we see the reason for that rule, the last half of verse 6. Let's begin with the first half of verse 6 as Jesus lays out this commandment, this rule, if you will. Let's ponder it again. Jesus says, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. So before we begin to chew, no pun intended, on this section, it's important that we understand the nature of the animals that Jesus is referring to. Clearly, he's talking about dogs. Clearly, he's talking about pigs. But the dogs and the pigs that Jesus is referring to is not your dog at home, Fluffy. This is not Fido, right? This is not a domesticated, tame house dog. Nor is Jesus referring to the pigs that are raised, for instance, on, in Kevin's uh, hog barns out there, right? That's not the type of pig that Jesus is referring to. No, this is not man's best friend. This is not the friendly porky pig that we may be familiar with, right? See, dogs in Jesus' day lived in filth, they scavenged the streets for food. They were wild, they were untamed. And in that day and in that culture they produced a great amount of fear in people because well they were hungry like my dog schnitzel all the time and their hunger could cause them to attack people and even even devour human beings that were helpless or caught off guard. And so when Jesus speaks of dogs don't don't think of a welsh terrier right think of a wolf That's what Jesus is talking about here. Similarly, pigs in Jesus' day, like dogs, were scavenging animals. And thus, like dogs, they were very aggressive. They were very dangerous. They would uh, ravage farmers' fields. And at times, they could run through city streets, endangering those who were unsuspecting and, and little children. And so, what characterized both of these animals, these pigs and these dogs that Jesus is referring to, is that they were, first of all, despised by the Jewish people. They were... More importantly, driven by their appetites. And they could act aggressively to any human that crossed their path. So, with that in mind, let's return now to our text. Jesus says, do not give dogs, notice this last little phrase, what is sacred. Don't give to dogs that which is sacred. What is Jesus referring to here when he says, don't give a dog that which is sacred? Most likely, he's referring to the pieces of meat, the pieces of food that were sacrificed in the Jewish temple. They were set aside, pieces of meat, if you will, of animals to God. And they were also set aside to feed the priests. So when Jesus uses this imagery, don't don't give to dogs. That which is sacred, think of a piece of meat. I think that what is what Jesus is referring to. So could you imagine, could you imagine someone taking a, a hot, off-the-plate, $60 Ruth's Crith's steak? If you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about. This luscious, fat, juicy, delectable piece of steak. Could you imagine someone taking a, a, that, a piece of steak like that and saying, here you go, Fido, just just feeding it to them for their dinner or their lunch. We wouldn't do that, right? We wouldn't take that which is is valuable and just throw it away. We wouldn't do that. Similarly, Jesus goes on to say, don't throw your pearls to pigs. So he he kind of changes the imagery a little bit. He he goes from from valuable valuable food to, to valuable items. If the food from the temple was spiritually sacred, so to speak. Then the pearls that Jesus refers to here were economically sacred. they're expensive, they're rare, they're, they're valuable. So, so think about this. could you imagine could you imagine taking your, uh, your $10,000 string of white pearls that your husband say purchased for you, that you value so much, and uh, just throwing them in the pig slop? To be digested and trampled upon by the pigs, of course we wouldn't do that. We don't waste valuable things in such a manner. I think the point of both of these phrases is the same. Jesus says it doesn't make sense to give that which is valuable to animals who fail to recognize that value. So we've thought about Jesus' image here, right? The idea of throwing a piece of meat to a dog or or throwing a string of pearls to a pig. But let me ask you a a quick question. Do you think Jesus is really concerned about what we do with our steaks and what we do with our pearls? I don't think so, right? Jesus is using an image here to make a spiritual truth. See, as Jesus refers to the response of a hog, and as he, resper- he, he, he refers to the response of a dog, he's referring to a particular type of person. He's, he's demonstrating how a person might be acting like a hog or might be acting like a dog in a particular scenario. Friends, Jesus isn't concerned about our stakes and our pearls. No, he's, resper- he, he's, he's concerned about what he calls that which is valuable, that which is sacred, that which is pearl like. So what does Jesus refer to? What what are these pearls that he's referring to? Well, you can turn there if you want, but if you were to turn a few chapters ahead to chapter 13, it's the passage that we read at the start of our worship service. In chapter 13, in verses 45 through 46, Jesus compared the kingdom of God in being able to enter and be a part of the kingdom of God through personal faith in Jesus Christ. This gospel message that he has entrusted to us, his disciples, he likens that message to a pearl, doesn't he? He says that that message is so precious. It's so valuable, right? Remember in the in this story that we read that, that there's a merchant and he finds it and he sells what? Everything he has. He says, this is a preeminent value to me. I will sell everything because I have to have this. I have to have this gospel. I have to have this good news. That is what Jesus is referring to. So Jesus here refers to people who act like pigs and who who respond like dogs when we throw before them, when we share the gospel pearls. He's not referring to all unbelievers here because not all unbelievers respond this way. He's, responding to un, uh, he, he's referring to, to unbelievers who, who reject the gospel, who are hostile to the gospel, and then they turn against those who are offering the gospel. He's not talking about all unbelievers, but you could say he's referring to those who are enemies of the gospel. It's significant. you can see on the screen behind me, Peter, in Second Peter chapter two, verse 22, and certainly Peter was here to, to hear these words, and I find it interesting that he, in talking about those who are hostile to the gospel message, refers to them as hogs and dogs. Peter says in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 22, he says, "Of them the, the proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit." And a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. So here Jesus is telling us that we have this precious gospel message, and that at times, if we attempt to throw it to certain people who are hostile and obstinate and unwilling to hear that message, and in fact are hostile to us as messengers, that we should be careful who we throw continually. That gospel message, too. So we've seen the rule, but then he gives us the reason as we look at the second half of verse 6. Here's the reason why Jesus says, Do not give dogs what is sacred, do not throw your pearls before pigs. He says, If you do, so here's the scenario if you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. So let's think about this section physically, right? Using the imagery of hogs and dogs for a moment. And then we'll think about what Jesus is referring to. But, but what would happen? What would happen if you give to dogs, if you were to give to a dog that which was sacred? You were to, to say to these wild, vicious, wolf-like dogs, if you were to hold a, a nice piece of meat in your hand and say, here boys, here boys, come on, come on, come on. What would likely happen to that piece of meat and to you? And, and then he, he says, what would likely happen if you take a string of pearls and you throw them before the pigs in the pigsty? Well, exactly what you would expect to happen. Starting in reverse order, Jesus describes starting what the, what the wild pig would do. Notice, what would the wild pig do to the pearls? Jesus says that the wild pigs would trample those pearls underneath their feet. In other words, they wouldn't see that it's valuable. It looks like white pieces of pea pods to them, right? They don't recognize what's before them. They would just chew it up like the rest of the stuff that they're eating. And what would happen then if you throw your, uh, your sacred objects t- to dogs? Well, look what Jesus says. He says that those dogs would turn and tear you to pieces. In other words, it's not just the piece of meat that they might consume they might consume you as well. Notice the progression. There's a progression to the destruction being described here by the pigs and by the dogs. The pig destroys the pearls, right? Tramples them under their feet. But the dog destroys you, the one offering the item of value. In other words, in this scenario, both the gift and the giver of the gift... Are destroyed. The reason why Jesus says you don't give what is valuable to these animals is because the item of value, number one, will be damaged, will be destroyed. And number two, the possessor of that which is valuable will be attacked, right? And so let's think about this in spiritual terms. What did Jesus mean? I think the parallel answer is, is pretty simple. He says the reason why we shouldn't continue to, to cram the gospel down a hostile person's throat is because by doing so, we might actually do damage to the cause of the gospel. And that person might actually very well turn and do damage to us as well. So let me ask you a question here. Have you maybe ever experienced what Jesus is talking about here? Or maybe you've seen it uh, happen to other Christians. Have you ever seen someone or maybe someone has been hostile both to the Christian gospel? They reject it. They reject it. They don't see it as valuable. It's silliness to them. It's foolishness to them. They're hostile to it. And not only are they then hostile to that message, but they're hostile to you or they're hostile to the one who is offering the precious pearls of salvation. Friends, if you've watched TV with any regularity, I'm guessing you've seen that happen before. I think in particular of, of a comedian by the, by the name of Bill Mayer, right? He, he If you've seen him, which I don't recommend, by the way, but he regularly, just joyfully, tramples the precious pearls of the gospel message under his feet. I, I think of examples of how celebrities who are Christians and they hold to orthodox views and they are lambasted in pop culture and in public settings and in media outlets because let's say they hold to a particular point of view on, on moral issues. They are scorned and they are skewered. If you've ever been on Facebook before, you probably have seen this happen as well. I can't tell you how many times I leave Facebook very angry because there are those that I believed were friends of the gospel that turned out to be foes of the gospel right there on Facebook, trampling the precious pearls in their posts and in their conversations. Friends, have you seen that before? Have you experienced what Jesus is talking about here? This, this, this phrase in verse 6 is simply Jesus reiterating what he told us back in chapter 5. Back in chapter 5 of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told us that people will, quote, insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. This is what Jesus is saying. Now let me turn for just a few minutes here, and let me ask the question, and then try my best to answer it. Are there examples in the New Testament Of Jesus' disciples who heard this sermon, this verse 6, preached, doing what Jesus told them to do? Are there examples of Jesus himself doing what he preached? Are there examples of the apostles, people after his resurrection, applying this principle that we see in verse 6? I think the answer is clearly yes to all three so let me just very briefly if you'll follow along on the screen behind me show you Some biblical texts. It it helps us maybe understand the type of situation that Jesus is referring to here in verse 6. So, number one, let's begin with the example of Jesus. A great place to begin with, right? Jesus uh, reiterated this to his disciples in Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus reiterates this point that he gave in chapter 7. He reiterates this point as he sends the disciples out to proclaim the message of salvation. So, look at verse 11 and following. Jesus told them, And whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it, and stay at his house until you leave that city. As you enter the house, give it your blessing, your greeting. If the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. But if it is not worthy, take back your blessing of peace. Whoever does not receive you nor heed your words, as you go out of that house or that city shake the dust off of your feet. So clearly, when Jesus told his disciples to go out, he talked about what he talked about, the scenario in verse 6. And he says, if that happens, shake the dust off of your feet. Did Paul follow that instruction? Take a look with me at Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, there's a scenario here when Paul and his cohorts are in the city of Antioch. And there is a section of Jews who are hostile. They're hostile to the message and the messenger. Notice Acts 13, starting in verse 46. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, speaking to the Jews there, since you repudiated it. Notice that language. Since you repudiated it and judge yourself unworthy of eternal life, behold, what are they going to do? We're turning to the Gentiles. Skip ahead a little bit to verse 50. But the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. Sounds like the dog turning on the piece of meat, doesn't it? Verse 51, what does Paul do? But they shook off the dust of their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. Boy, that sounds like similar language, doesn't it? Notice, Jesus himself did very similar things. And um, in my studies, I found about six or seven or eight examples. I just want to share two with you. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 14 and 15, Jesus The text says that Jesus withdrew to other areas in order to preach the gospel of the kingdom because he faced hostility in a particular area. Verse 14, But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. But Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. Just a few chapters later in verse 15, Excuse me, chapter 15, verse 21. Jesus is questioned uh, in, a, in a very hostile way. He's challenged, once again, by the, by the, the, the scribes and Pharisees. And in verse 21 says, Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. We see this pattern in the, in the life of Jesus over and over and over again. Other examples could be given. So clearly, Jesus' disciples understood what he was saying. Paul Understood what he was saying. Jesus himself, of course, understood what he was saying. Followed his own teaching here. So, we've seen the rule and we've seen the reason. I want to close our sermon now with the relevance. And let's begin to think about what in the world does it look like for us as Christians to be obedient to verse 6. Chapter 7, verse 6. I I want to share a couple quotes with us. I think commentators have a way, biblical biblical commentators and scholars, I think have a way of helping us maybe better grasp what this text means. So, one by the name of Kenneth Krell says this. You can see it on the screen behind me, I believe. And if not, I'm sorry. Jesus is saying, don't cram the truth down close-minded people's throats. Don't waste your words on those who will not listen. Rather, go to those who are receptive and hungry for hope. He goes on to say, uh, um, Something so valuable should not be given to those who have no appreciation for such precious truths. It is a warning, he writes, It is a warning against mistaken zeal in proclaiming the gospel to those whose only intent is mockery or ridicule or worse. Again, another commentator by the name of Hendrickson writes this. He says, Staying on and on in the company of those who ridicule the Christian religion, he says, is not fair to other fields that are waiting to be served, especially in view of the fact that the harvest, in Jesus' words, is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So, in light of what we've heard from the Bible in light of what we've heard from these scholars, I have f- five application points for us today. Four, actually. Let's see. One, two, three, four. I have trouble counting. Four. Four application points. Number one, do share the gospel with everyone and with anyone. Do share the gospel with everyone and with anyone. So we need to be careful when we look at what Jesus says in chapter 7 in verse 6. This verse does not say that we should not share the gospel with those that we think might respond as a hog or a dog does, or to those that we think will be hostile to the message, to those that we think are enemies of the gospel. Jesus doesn't say that, right? How will we know how people will respond to the gospel unless we share the gospel with them, right? We don't know how they're going to respond until they hear the good news of Jesus Christ presented. And so the first do, if you will, is do share the good news of the gospel. Everyone needs the gospel, so we should share the gospel with anyone and with everyone without discrimination. So do, do, do share the gospel. Number two, do hold the gospel in high esteem. The language is telling in verse six. It is so significant that Jesus likens the message of salvation from sin received by faith and in faith alone in him to things that were set aside for God himself into valuable pearls. So let me ask, brothers and sisters, those of you here who are born again, who have trusted in the gospel, what on earth could be more valuable than that? What could we hold more dear than this gospel message? What could be more esteemed than, in Paul's words, this gospel, which is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes it? Friends, what do we have to cling to and to hold in high esteem, but if not this gospel message by which we were saved and were born again? What is more valuable than this? So let me ask How highly do we hold the gospel? How much do we esteem it? How valuable is it in our lives? Do we value and cherish it as? Jesus teaches here. Number three, do. Do expect hostility. Do expect hostility to the gospel and rejection from people. I think Jesus is simply reiterating and talking about what he has shared already in verse five. Jesus makes it clear that it's highly possible that in our casting this valuable pearl of the gospel before people, that many people, some people, will not have their eyes opened to see that this is a this is a string of pearls it's not a string of pea pods that some people won't recognize the sacredness of this gospel they will not believe it in fact not only that but they will be hostile to it not only will they reject the message but very often they will reject you so do do expect hostility And do expect rejection. And number four, do pray for discernment. Do pray for discernment. It is significant that after verse 6 comes verses 7 through 11, that Jesus says, have discernment here in who and how you're sharing the gospel. And then he teaches about prayer. Because for us to do this right in obedience to him, we need to be praying We need to be seeking. We need to be knocking. We need to be asking. So, it's significant that prayer, prayer, prayer must be involved as we share the gospel. How do we know that a person is so hard-hearted and hostile hostile to the gospel that it's it's time to stop throwing the sacred pearls to them? Well, Kenneth Krell helpfully says, he says, you'll have to be very careful on how you apply this verse. He says it's very easy just to say, quote, well, I'm, I'm not going to throw my pearls before them anymore. He says the key here is to pray for wisdom and discernment. Pray that the Lord would show you how to go about persevering in difficult relationships with unbelievers who are even hostile in their rejection of the gospel and of Jesus Christ. Pray that God would make it clear to you when it's time to move on to more fertile field. And number five, my math is better than I thought, number five, don't stop praying and don't stop loving the hard-hearted. Don't stop praying, don't stop loving. While clearly Jesus teaches here and, and the examples bear it out, that there is a time for us to remove our gospel presenting, that does not mean that we need to stop praying or loving that person or persons. In fact, makes sense to me that we should pray for them even harder because they're blind to the spiritual truth. They are in danger of hell. We need to love them harder because it may be that our acts of kindness and sacrificial love to them, God might use that to open up their eyes to the gospel of Christ. So four do's. Do share the gospel. Do hold it in high esteem. Do expect hostility. Do pray for discernment, and there's one don't. Don't stop praying, and don't stop loving. Let's pray together.